Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. We're going to ask you to stand one more time as we, for the uh, honor and reverence of God's holy word. Ecclesiastes chapter number 3. If you have a physical copy of God's word, you can find Ecclesiastes after Psalms and Proverbs. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, beginning with verse number 1. And here, how, here is how it reads according to the English Standard Version. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have your seats. There are some things that we have to hold in tension. Though they are two uh, decent universities, KU and K-State, have to be held in tension. Or, if you're where I'm from, Texas, and Texas A&M has to be held in tension. Or the Dallas Cowboys and the Kansas City Chiefs moving on. Two things that the preacher here in Ecclesiastes says that our intention are time and eternity. He says in verse 1, for everything there is a season, a time for every matter under the heaven. That is his thesis. 
That is his proposition that he will prove. For everything, there is a season. A time for every matter under the heaven. So we've got two sections here in our text. We'll look at verses 1 through 8 and then verses 9 through 16. Everything has a season and a time. Notice that at the end of verse 1, he says that this statement of truth, his, his observation of life applies to everything, here it is, under heaven. The preacher, then, is making a general statement about human life in the human world. So since everything has a season, and there's a time for every activity under the heaven, he's now going to list out some of the activities and seasons on the earth. Verse 2, he says there's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. The focus of this verse is about life. The author, he gives us polar opposites in each line. He says, there's a time to be born, there's a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up. What the, the author is doing here, the preacher is doing, he's giving us this polar opposites to say that not only is there a time to be born and a time to die, but there's a time for everything else in between birth and death. Everything has its own time. Everything has its own season. The first line of verse 2 applies to the human life cycle. Time to be born and a time to die. The second line of verse 2 deals with the plant life cycle. Time to plant, time to pluck up. Now, what is interesting about both life cycles is that neither humans nor plants are in control of their own lifespan. It's controlled by someone else. The mere fact that there is a time for everything under heaven means then that birth and death are not human accidents. They are divine appointments. Friend, child of God, you, no matter what your mama and daddy told you, you were not an accident. God knew when you were, now it may have been an oops, but you were not an accident. It was by divine appointment that you are here. He, verse 3, he moves from the human life cycle to the intentionality of life. Look at verse 3, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up. There's a time to end life and a time to preserve life. You're probably thinking, all right, we're pro-life, right? Yeah, as believers we are. When would be an appropriate time to end life? For the author, it would have been wartime. There, there, there are times when war is just, says the preacher. There's a time for it. Verse 4, he moves from the life cycle to the intentional of life to verse 4, he talks about the times and seasons of our emotions. Look, 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 look at verse number 4. A time to weep, a time to laugh. 
a time to mourn, and a time to dance. We are emotional beings by creation and by nature. Being created in the image of God means that we are emotional beings. And the author affirms this. In these two lines, the preacher addresses the emotions that we display in private and the emotions that we display in public. In private, we weep and laugh, except for giggles. In public, we mourn and we dance. I think the preacher's point here is that there is both sorrow and joy in this life. We cannot avoid either. Then we come to verse 5. There's a time for casting stones, a time for gathering stones. What the heck do you do with that? A number of positions have been put forth. I won't share with them all, but I think what he's referring to is that there's a time for enmity and a time for friendship. What do you mean? In this culture, culture, you would gather stones in order to prepare to ruin someone else's fields. It's a time of preparation, but no actual aggression. You would cast the stones in order to destroy their fields. He says there's a time to be enemies and there's a time to be friends. Verse 6 deals with this preacher's view on our possessions. He says there's a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away. There are times where we should look for something. There are times we should keep things. There are also times where we should give up searching and throw things away. In other words, there are times to accumulate possessions, and there are times we should give away possessions. The lesson to be learned from these verses, friends, is that nothing in this world is ours forever. Naked we came into this world, and naked we shall return. Therefore, we should not love anything, the material things of this world. We brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of this world. All the the preacher here, remember, he's telling us that there's a time for everything. Verse 7 and 8 deal with relationships. The first verse, verse 7, deals with interpersonal relationships. Interpersonal relationships. He says there's a time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. How's this dealing with interpersonal relationships dealing with tearing and sowing? It, 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 is metaf- it is a metaphor for severing and mending relationships. And so he says there's a time for ending relationships and there's a time for reconciling relationships. Now anybody that's ever been a part of any interpersonal relationship knows that all relationships have issues. They have disagreements. They, they, they have fights and struggles. So then the preacher says, Since all interpersonal relationships have their issues, he says there's a time to keep silent. There's a time to speak up. 
Let's, let, let, let me linger there for just a minute. He says, in your interpersonal relationships, there are times when you need to keep your mouth shut. Ooh, I wish I had a praying church with me right now. Proverbs chapter 19 verse 11 says, sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. At, there are times when it is wise to overlook some minor offenses. You have to be wise about it. You don't have to say something all the time. There's a time to keep silent. The author says, the preacher says, there's also, there are times when you need to say something. If a disagreement makes you so upset that it affects your relationship with the person, how you view the person, how you respect the person, then you need to speak up. If you don't speak up, you are sinning. What do you mean it's a sin? Here's what Jesus said. He says, if, if you are offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go to him. First, be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Time to say something. Time to keep silent. So if verse 7 deals with interpersonal relationships, verse 8 deals with international relationships. He says there's a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. There are times when nations will love one another and be at peace, and there are times when nations will hate one another and go out to war. The preacher says this is just a natural part of living under heaven. Everything has a season. Everything has a time. So he moves from his thesis, verses 1 through 8. He says, now let me give you an explanation and some application in verses 9 through 16. While the previous section deals with life under the sun or under heaven, this section deals with the God who is in heaven. Look at it. Verse 10 insinuates that God, it is God who has given mankind the times and the seasons. It is God who is in control of the times and seasons. Verse 11 says that God has made everything beautiful in its own time. Look, in verses 1 through 8, he just gives us this general truth. There's no mention of God. But now in verses 9 through 16, all he's going to talk about is God. So what he's doing, he says, under heaven is one view. Under heaven is one perspective. But if you look to the God of time, you get a new perspective. Verse 11, he says, God has made everything beautiful in his own time. In other words, everything that God is doing is good, appropriate. Right, pleasing, just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it's not good. Everything that God is doing is a work of art. God knows 
what he is doing, whatever he does, is for our glory and for our ultimate good. He knows what, what he's doing. Now, the B section of verse 11 says, also, he has put eternity into man's heart so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to end. What in the world does the preacher mean when he says he's put eternity into God's, into man's heart? A number of options have been given. They said eternity means forever or eternity the word in the Hebrew can be translated dark. Or he, so he's put man in the dark so he cannot know what God is doing. Or the word can mean, uh, uh, or it can mean ignorance. Which would make sense if, since the next part says, so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. I'm inclined to think that the preacher here means he, he's referring to the time of eternity, because he's talking about time, which is finite, by the way, but now he's contrasting that with eternity, forever. And so he's saying, God has put eternity into man's heart. But listen, when God first created the heavens and the earth, we were created to live with God eternally. There was the tree of life. But because of sin, we lost eternal life. Remember, Adam and Eve, they sin in the garden, and God says, let, 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 we got to put them out of the garden lest they eat from the tree of life and live forever. So we lost eternal life in the garden when man and woman sinned. Though we lost eternal life itself, we did not lose our desire for eternity. We, we long for meaning of our existence beyond the here and now. The preacher is saying to us that we have a capacity for eternal things. We are concerned about the future. We want to understand from the beginning to the end. But because we are sinners, because we live in a fallen world, we are not able to comprehend God's plan and its entirety. Because God has put eternity into our hearts, Listen to this. Because God has put eternity into our hearts, we will never be satisfied with the temporary pleasures of this world. I got to say that again for somebody. Because God has put eternity into our hearts, we will never be satisfied with the temporary pleasures of this world. We will always feel like aliens in this world and yearn for something more. C.S. Lewis had this to say about time and eternity. He said, if I find in myself a desire for which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably, earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, 
to suggest the real thing. So we move on now. He gives us, in verses 12 through 13, mankind's privilege. The preacher says in verse 12 and 13, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in his toil. This is God's gift to man. God's, man's privilege is to be able to enjoy every good and perfect gift from God. Man's privilege is to enjoy both moments of recreation and labor. Eating and drinking here in our text, they, they are tokens of a contented and happy life. That's man's privilege. Here's God's purpose in verses 14 and 15. These, in these verses, the preacher reminds us his whole point and this whole section from verses 1 through 15 is to remind us that God is sovereign over time and eternity. God is in complete control of time and eternity. He's in control of both. Both time and eternity have to bow the knee to their maker, God. Whatever God does will endure, says the preacher. In other words, it's permanent. No one can add to it. No one can take away from it. Because God is sovereign, what he's doing, no man can change. So the question must be, why does God do what he does? Look at verse 14. So Last clause of verse 14, so that people fear before him. Friends, God's purpose in everything that he does, is doing, and will do is so that men might worship him. To fear God is to rest our lives on the only solid foundation for time and eternity, which is God Almighty. Martin Luther said, this is what it means to fear God, to have God in view, to know that he looks at all our works, and to acknowledge him as the author of all things. So then, the preacher simply wants us to know that since God is sovereign over time and eternity, we are to fear him and, and enjoy his good gifts. Since God is sovereign over time and eternity, we are to fear him and enjoy his good gifts. Friends, we are to trust God's timing. God is never late. He's always on time. And you've been waiting for God to change the season of your life. You've been waiting for the time to change. The preacher says, the implications of what the preacher says is, we need to trust God's time. 
You want something to change in your life. Your career. Your marriage. Your children. Whatever it may be. Your financial situation. The preacher says there's a time for it. There's a season for everything. Whatever season of life you in, are in, you need to be content because it's a part of God's providential plan. God is in control. I told the navigators at WSU this week that the sovereignty of God ought to be a source of comfort for us because when Kim Jong-un starts flying his rockets, the only thing that can give us peace is to know that God is still in control. When 45 starts tweeting, you'll be like, what? Where'd that come from? The only thing that can give you comfort is to know that God is still in control. There are people that are out there who says they don't know if he's fit for office, whether he is or whether he is not. The source of comfort that we can have as believers is that God is in control. Who's ever, no matter who's in the White House, God is in control. No matter what dictator is going crazy in the world, God is in control. No matter what's going on in your house, the comfort and the contentment you ought to have is that God is in control. And whatever God does, it is for his glory and his good. I may not understand it right now, but soon and very soon, one of these old days, we'll understand it better by and by. By and by, when the morning comes. Woo! All right. My time is up. I I feel something now. I'm just getting started. God is sovereign over time, church. And this ought to be good news for the redeemed, to know that God is sovereign over time. Because, because God is sovereign over time, Galatians 4 and 4 says that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might redeem, receive adoption as sons. What what are we to do? We are to rest in the sovereignty and the goodness of God. That yes, there is a season for everything. There's a time for every matter under the heaven. But we, we don't have to be restless within the different seasons and times of life because we can rest in the God who is controlled of time and eternity. We fear him. We worship him. We trust him. Because he is sovereign. No matter what comes, no matter what may be, he's still in control. I know it seems like the wheels are falling off. The wheels are spinning off right now in your life. Friend, I know it's a very simple message, but God sent you by the Bridge Church on this Sunday morning to let you know that he's still in control. He hasn't forgotten about you. 
He does not ever lose control of the vehicle of this world. 